Chris Jones' speech on day one at his newly acquired business didn't go well. It was an inauspicious start to a months-long, harrowing slog. Unhelpful sellers. A quiet quitting GM who eventually quit-quit and quit to start a competing business. And scariest of all, collapsing sales. It's enough to make you go fetal. And I think these terrifying transitions deserve a moniker, fetal transition. But just over a year later, and Chris has righted the ship. Sales have returned. The people at the business are on board for his leadership. And Chris feels like he sees not just mere survival in his future, but growth. He's actually contemplating buying another business. This is the story of how he pushed through. Please enjoy my conversation with Chris Jones, owner of a $6 million foundation repair business in North Carolina. Welcome to Acquiring Minds, a podcast about buying businesses. My name is Will Smith. Acquiring an existing business is an awesome opportunity for many entrepreneurs. And on this podcast, I talk to the people who do it. I want to share an update on the Acquisition Lab. As you know, the lab is a highly vetted, cohort-based accelerator and community for people serious about buying a business. After going through the lab's month-long intensive, you have ongoing access to almost daily Q&A sessions with advisors, regular live deal reviews with Walker Deibel, author of Buy Then Build, potential deal team introductions, and a very active Slack group with other searchers on the path. Well, the update is that the lab recently passed 60 businesses acquired and for well over $100 million in aggregate transaction value. Also, all members now enjoy lifetime access to the lab. Because when you buy a business, it's often just the first of many, and the lab wants to support you in every deal, not just your first. Lastly, check out my recent interview with Shane Ursum, episode 105. Shane acquired a business with over a million dollars in EBITDA in just six months, and he attributes a lot of his deal success to what he learned in the lab. Check out acquisitionlab.com or email the lab's director, Chelsea Wood, chelsea at buythenbuild.com. Chris Jones, welcome to Acquiring Minds. Yeah, thank you, Will. I'm really happy to be here. I listen to you pretty frequently these days uh, going to and from work. Hmm. And so, you know, it's, it's an honor to be here. Awesome. Well, I, I love to get listeners uh, into the seat, Chris. So it's, it's great to have you here. You bought a foundation repair business in North Carolina. It was a tumultuous, difficult transition, but you are feeling like maybe the worst is behind you, as, as I gathered from our pre-call. And in fact, you're even flirting with the idea of another acquisition. So we are going to hear all of that and learn something about the foundation repair business, which is one that I and I bet many listeners have wondered about. Let's start with some background on you, please, Chris. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I, I did acquire this business just over a year ago now, um, prior to purchasing uh, the company. Uh, most of my career was spent in mortgage credit finance. So I started out after getting my uh, master's in finance. I was working at a private bank in Miami. And then, um, you know, I, I really just started to feel more and more that entrepreneurial uh, 
desire that uh, had been in the back of my head for a while. Uh, I'd read, you know, startup owners manual and I'd read, of course, all the, you know, the ETA books, uh, Harvard Business Review and, and uh, buy then build and all of that. And, you know, I eventually realized, like a lot of listeners on your show that uh, or guests on your show that, you know, I didn't need to necessarily have a great idea or have a startup because I didn't have any great ideas, but I, I knew that I wanted to have a business of my own someday. And, uh, so I, it really, it dawned on me that I could, I could buy a business and, um, you know, I, I'd been saving money, um, all along. And, and I guess I also just had some, uh, lucky timing too, you know, in, in my life, like, you know, when I bought my first house, it was 2011 and then bought my second, you know, sold that and needed a bigger house because my wife got pregnant. And so I bought that house and, you know, late. 2012 and so that you know the real estate market at the time was very very depressed and uh so that actually ended up helping me out quite a bit to equity gains or a large way that i was uh able to eventually fund my business purchase when i moved from uh, miami to to charlotte um but i just i started to just you know digest everything i could about about eta and and small business acquisition and i um I'd also kind of come to the realization at that time that I really would prefer not to live in Miami. Um, you know, Miami's a, like a very vibrant and fun place and there's a lot going on, but you know, I have a young family and, and I just felt like I had been to Charlotte for work a number of times with my, with my old employer and it just seemed like a great place to be. Uh, and you know, I kind of just decided that, you know, this, this seems like something that I'd like to try out. So, when uh when covid hit in in 2020 uh you know i was working from home my wife was a was a teacher at the time and she was working from home and uh you know we were basically just my and my kids were at home and we're like well we could you know we could do what we're doing right now from really anywhere we don't have to be where we are and uh we had talked about trying to live somewhere else uh for a little while and so we just decided to give it a try so we we rented a house uh in charlotte sight unseen uh we had a mutual like a, a friend of our neighbors who went over and checked it out for us and you know showed us basically on on facetime what everything looked like and we were like okay well that seems like a nice spot we could probably give that a try for a year so we we rented this house and got a moving truck and packed up our stuff and moved to charlotte and with the, under the kind of the did you sell the house in Miami? We did not. We actually kept the house in Miami for uh, for another year because that was kind of okay. our fallback plan. Was if if we didn't like it and if it didn't work out and it wasn't a better better life for us, we would just call the moving truck back and load it back up and yeah. go back home. So, do you get serious about your search when you get to Charlotte? Was the idea that you would kind of start this new life, including a professional life, in the in the form of buying a business upon arrival in Charlotte? Yeah, I mean that's that's exactly right. Um, the idea was kind of get to where we want to be geographically, and then after that point, you know, I was planning to really put a hundred percent of my efforts into into finding a business, and it was going to be you know very geographically focused in the greater Charlotte area. So um, yeah, that's that's exactly what we did. I had I had started out looking for businesses in Charlotte while I was still in Florida a little bit. So I actually got introduced 
to a number of brokers in the Charlotte community. And, and funny enough, uh, I think it was the first or second uh, phone call I ever had with a seller was actually the, the sellers of the company that I ultimately ended up purchasing back in the end <laughs> of 2019. So they had, uh, they had put the business on the market at the end of 2019. And, um, I mean, I, I really wasn't prepared to, to, you know, even send an LOI or do anything at that point, but, uh, I was just trying to kind of get some reps in terms of meeting with sellers and, and looking at deals. So I was talking to brokers in the, in the Charlotte area and they introduced me to this, this business and I had a call with the sellers and, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't put in an offer or anything, but they ended up pulling the, uh, the business off. They had an offer. Um, that, that was, I guess, moving forward. And then they ended up pulling everything off the market because COVID hit. I mean, this was probably December of 2019 when I had the phone call with them initially. So before mm. the closing would have taken place, they, they took the business off the market and just decided to run it for a little bit longer until things normalized a bit. Well, give us a, a quick picture of what your search looked like once you started it in earnest from Charlotte. So, yeah, I mean, I... The way that I describe it to people is I was not really, you know, doing a search fund. I was not doing anything like that. I was just kind of a guy looking to buy a business. So I was working from home um, and, you know, my, my wife would go to work, my kids would go to school and it was very quiet in there. And, you know, I was used to working a fair amount of hours with my, with my former employer. So, uh, I just basically squeezed it in whenever I could. I mean, I would work during the day. I would be, uh, whenever I had some time, I would, I would talk to brokers. I would, you know, review Sims. Um, I would work late at night to, you know, review the Sims when they came back in, you know, so that I wasn't losing too much productivity at work. But, um, you know, I, I think you've had other guests that have made similar comments. Like I probably wasn't as good of an employee at that point as I, as I could have been, because I was definitely <laughs> trying to, to do something else. I just, you know, I just, I, I knew that, well, I was like, well, here we are, I'm here now, time to dedicate as much as I can. But at, at the same time, I wasn't, I wasn't going to quit my job and try and raise a search fund and all of that because I had to, you know, I had my family obligations that, uh, that I needed to, to tend to. So I wasn't, I was just trying to, trying to do broker outreach and trying to re review as many deals as I could. And I was really just focusing on the Charlotte area. And so I, every broker I talked to, I said, you know, everything in my price range that's in this geography, I want to look at, I was very industry agnostic and, you know, saw a lot of, and what was your price range? I was looking for anything in kind of the two to two to $4 million range. And you connect with the local brokers. And I assume you're also looking at biz buy sell, right? How do you happen across the, or I guess I should say, how does the the business that you'd already made contact with back in 2019 circle back around to your land on your desk? So the, I mean, the, the brokers that had brought it forth originally, they, the, the sellers came back to them when they were ready to, to relist it. And, uh, I was working pretty closely with that particular brokerage because, they they see a lot of um, you know they were one of the bigger brokerages in this area and, and they they specialize in kind of North and South Carolina and so I was I was had a basically a buyer's representative over there at that brokerage that was uh, he was 
I was, I guess, on their short list at that point where anything that came up, they would call me right away and, and, uh, you know, present it to me. And that came after just showing them that I was serious for, for a significant amount of time, going to lunches with them and just demonstrating that, you know, this is 100% what I expect to do ultimately. So took a little while to get to that point, but ah. eventually got on their short list. That's great to hear. Um, because of course, getting brokers to take you seriously is kind of one of the first hurdles that a searcher has to get across. Getting to the point where you're actually on their short list um, is maybe is maybe even more progress than your average searcher ho hopes to make. Um, so that's it's great that you were able to do that. So how often were they calling you with a new deal, and how often were those deals like something that you wanted to look at uh, once you were on the yeah, short list? Yeah, I mean, I was probably. In total, from all the different brokers I was talking to, I was probably looking at one or two deals a week, and you know some of them were immediate no's, and and so I didn't really look at anything much that given week. But then, uh, mm -hmm. you know, other ones would would come along, and and they would seem like they would fit some of the boxes, but not all of the boxes, and so I'd spend some time with it, but then you know politely decline. Um, but uh, you know, yeah, they were. I mean, whenever they had something that that fit, they were they were really good about it. So I have you know the, the mm -hmm. I have good things to say about the broker that I worked with. Listeners of Acquiring Minds know that for almost any business you acquire, its success comes down to the people and how you develop and manage them as their new leader. Thing is, in addition to management, there is also a lot of process and bureaucratic work when it comes to your new employees. Payroll, compliance, HR technology, hiring, to name but a few. These processes are crucial to get right, but at the same time distract from where you want to be putting your energy, in leadership. So, Aspen HR is an HR firm and PEO that takes this work off your plate and handles it with the care it demands. Aspen is owned and run by Mark Sinatra, himself a successful former searcher, so Aspen's own leadership understands the HR challenges that searchers have post-acquisition. The firm is offering Acquiring Minds listeners a complimentary pre-acquisition HR and PEO review for your target business. Check out AspenHR.com or contact Mark directly at Mark at AspenHR.com. Well, if you were industry agnostic and you said your price range was Two to four million, did you say? Yes. Yeah, that's right. That's a lot of businesses. I mean, that's a lot of businesses are going to fall in that price range. Um, you know, above four million, you start to get into pretty sizable business that might attract the attention of PE. And and below that size, it's going to be a you know, it's going to be. I mean, there's going to be a lot of businesses that sell for less than two million, to be sure. Um, but still, you, you that you cast a pretty wide net. Which, of course, if it's a geographically constrained search, you're going to need to do anyway. Right. Yeah. We had just packed up and moved here. So I, I, my wife, especially, and you know, me and nobody was interested at that point in, in turning around, relocating again anytime soon. So, uh, you know, yeah. moving sucks. So, uh, didn't want to do that again if, if we didn't have to. And so that was, I was pretty firm on that requirement, but yeah, I looked at, I looked at everything from, you know, trucking companies to, uh, fast food restaurants to the, uh, companies that produce plastic to put over crops and on the top of top of uh, dumpster trucks just all sorts of crazy stuff so mm -hmm. but uh, a lot of home services okay. and so yeah well that's a that's a common one so so 
the business that you did buy is is brought back on the market to these brokers that you now have a relationship with. They call you, they tell you about it. You're, you, you recall it from back in 2019. Tell us how all of that unfolds. So yes, they reached out to me and they said, oh, I know that you did talk to these people uh, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, wanted to let you know that it is back on the market and the people that had originally made an offer are not, you know, are not going to be making an offer this time. That was around January of 2022. So I, I said, yeah, I'm, I'm interested. Definitely. Let's, uh, let's, let's see. Um, so I started down the path with them and did due diligence. Uh, you know, at that point I had a couple SBA lenders that I was pretty familiar with. Um, and uh, I had a, I had an attorney and I had a CPA lined up cause I was, you know, I was trying to do my part to be ready when the right business came along. And, uh, so I went and I did, you know, got further into due diligence with them than most of the other companies. Uh, I did issue an LOI. My understanding is that there was two other potential buyers, two or three other potential buyers at the time. And, uh, I was informed, uh, Eventually, that you know, my offer was not accepted. Uh, that basically, I had lost out to another um, another buyer. So, yeah, you know, I was disappointed about that. And I went, and I, you know, I talked to my wife. I was like, oh, you know, I thought that this really might have worked out. I was pretty excited about this one. And um, you know, she's like, well, you know, whatever happens, happens. It's that's the way th these things go. There'll be something else. And so I just kept looking at other businesses. I met with a couple of other, um, couple of other sellers in the next three months or so. And then I got a call back from the broker that, and they were telling me that they didn't think that the deal was going to go through, but they weren't sure yet. They wanted to give me a heads up and see if I was still interested just in case it didn't go through. So I guess they were, they were just trying to keep me warm. Um, mm -hmm. and yeah, I mean, about, two, three weeks after that, um, got a call from them and said that the, the deal did not go through with the original buyer. So, um, you know, I didn't get a ton of color around what happened. My understanding is that he, he had kind of wanted to make it more of a, uh, hands-off passive, um, type of investment. Uh, from, from what I know, he was a Harvard grad and a fighter pilot and had a consulting business and had all these other things. So I was like, yeah, I probably would have taken his offer too. No problem. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, it fell through, I guess it, it, he realized that it was going to be, there was going to be more to it than, uh, more active management than he thought. And I, you know, I was, that didn't, I didn't shy away from that because I expected to quit my job and do this all day, every day as my new career. So, uh, I said, fine, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm well, still interested. So speaking of active management, yeah, we're, we're about to hear just how active this management was and is. Is there anything that you want to say? Because I want to, I want to spend some time once you're in, actually in the seat, Chris. Is there anything that you want to call our attention to um, about the transaction itself and the negotiation? Um, you know, the transaction was was okay. Um, there was a couple things that that came up along the way where you know I I had been basically working off of QuickBooks uh, uh, numbers the entire time and, uh, you know, doing all of my due diligence and, and modeling cash flow off of the QuickBooks numbers. And then uh, pretty late in the process, I 
got a link to some other file that was in the that got put in the data room and it had this this whole suite of management reporting and uh the management reporting was you know had different numbers for for sales and and production and all of that than what was in quickbooks and so i was like well what's all this you know uh how how do how do i make sense of this so we spent a fair mm -hmm. amount of time and we went through that and eventually i was able to get comfortable with the differences between how they internally reported numbers versus how they were doing it for accounting purposes but that was just kind of it wasn't really presented to me from the beginning. It was kind of just something that was, you know, eventually made its way to the data room and I had to ask about it. And then we, we dug into it a bit. Um, and, and was that a harbinger of, of things to come? Was that kind of emblematic of how the business was run, that, that things were not always what they seemed, or was that an innocent oversight? I mean, I, I mean, it, it, I'll, I'll say it was just something that was probably an innocent oversight. I mean, it was probably a little bit of an element of, you know, if just wait for him to ask and then, you know, then we'll give him information once he asks about it. But, uh, it, it, it wasn't nothing, nothing terrible came out of that. So I was able to kind of get around that. One of the other things that, that kept popping up is when we'd be reviewing the, the QuickBooks P and L numbers, their numbers would, would kind of change from, from one time I looked at it to the next, like, you know, February's PL number would be this, uh, this week and then slightly different next week. And, uh, I was like, well, you know, I thought the books were closed and there was always, well, you know, this invoice came in or that invoice came in, or we ended up finishing this job that wasn't accounted for. So, uh, little things like that. I mean, I, again, you know, it was just kind of a, at the time I was like, well, I think I can, I can get over this. Uh, it's, you know, it's small business. I understand that they don't have the most sophisticated accounting practices. So, uh, but you know, little things like that were having invoices being processed way after the fact was, uh, you know, a little bit of a, of a red flag at the time. Okay, Chris. So as you're going through the transaction, there are what we might call yellow flags or, or small red flags that are appearing. Um, but it's easy to ex kind of explain that away to oneself by saying, well, this is the nature of small business. Um, let's fast forward now to you actually getting into the business. Tell us about the first month. So the first, oh, I mean, even the, the first day, uh, I mean, I, I assume that's <laughs> uh <-oh>. chaotic, <laughs> chaotic for everybody, but, um, you know, even just leading up to that first day, like the, the week before was, was very chaotic before closing. Um, you know, I was like, I, I was moving houses. Uh, my, my son had to have an emergency surgery. Um, I was trying to close on a, on a HELOC on my house and it finally closed in time because I was trying to avoid having to, uh, have any equity available so that, uh, for the SBA loan. <laughs> so that was a little, uh, little, little, um, know insight that had been passed along to me by my lender that you know if you well if you have a you'll still have to have a personal guarantee but if you take up any excess uh equity with uh with this heloc you will then not have to have a lien on your house i was like oh, that sounds really nice let me let me do that i had so, not heard that yeah so that was uh that was great uh but i was trying to get all of those things taken care of and then um 
the day of the sale, I basically uh, came towards the office and, and the sellers were saying, oh, well, you know, we're going to, we're going to make the announcement at the end of the day. And right after we make the announcement, you can come over. So I got, got towards the office a little bit early. There's a, there's a fast food restaurant right across the street from our office. And so I figured, oh, I'll just sit here and wait for the word. And, you know, I felt like I was sitting there forever. It went way past the time when I, when I was expected to be told to, to come over and introduce myself. Um, and so eventually I got, I got the call to come over and introduce myself and it was just, uh, it, it was a lot of kind of blank stares from people. Uh, it was a lot of people that were, that had a hard time with it and were just confused. And, you know, the, my understanding I found out later is that, you know, they had pretty recently made an announcement to people that were not selling this company, uh, you know, cause they had, they had basically um, you know, started a new, a new chapter in their life and had moved from being close to the office to being about an hour, a little, a little over an hour away from the office. So they, they weren't really in the office very often. So I guess there was some speculation that they might be selling the company and then, you know, they told everybody, no, we're not selling the company and then turn around a month or so later. And yeah, we are selling the company and here's the guy he's right here. He's sitting at Bojangles across the street. So, um, oh man, yeah. So you could feel you could feel the tension in the room, and the the confusion, and the kind of lack of receptivity to your to you and your message. Yeah, I think that they were just confused with with everything in general. Um, I tried to kind of keep my my speech short and and touch on the typical things you'd want to touch on. Of you know, I'm not planning to change anything. I just want to build on all the great things that this company is all about and help grow. And, and, you know, I'm going to be here all day, every day. And all of those things that I had hoped would kind of put people at ease. And, you know, I think maybe it did to some extent, but I think they were just, they were just taken aback by, because nobody kind of saw it coming. Mm -hmm. So, um, that was, that was the first day. Um, the <laughs> next couple weeks were, we had kind of rushed the closing because there was supposed to be a management retreat that I was going to go on uh, to, to Charleston or somewhere. And uh, so we had trying to rush the closing and, and just get it done because we wanted to go on this retreat. And I was going to go strategize with the leaders of the company and the, and the sellers and all of that. And then, you know, as soon as we closed, I realized like this, this just isn't possible. Like I can't, I can't go out of town for several days now. Uh, I felt like the first probably two weeks post-closing, I was just basically sitting in, in my office here, uh, switching accounts for the most part. I mean, mm -hmm. there's, there was a lot of legwork to be done with everything from, you know, fleet fuel cards to three or four different, uh, phone, internet, and, uh, you know, uh, service providers for alarm systems or everything, like everything just took a really long time to, to switch these accounts over. So I felt like I was at it for literally about two weeks, just sitting mm -hmm. in the office. And this is time that I wasn't spending with the guys, uh, you know, that were doing the, do the production or going out in the field or just even forming relationships. I was basically just holed up in my office on the phone for for two weeks so you know that was kind of a lesson learned in the in the future um 
you know, if I was to do it again, I would probably want to actually consummate the closing and get all of that stuff ironed out before making the announcement so that mm. it wasn't just kind of, uh, you know, Hey, I'm here and I'll be in the office on the phone if you need me. <laughs> mm -hmm. So yeah. it would have been really nice to have that, that pressure off. So, but yeah, um, that, well, that's a great tip because it, this transitioning of accounts is something that comes up a lot. Um, but as you paint a picture of it, that, you know, you had this rocky first day speech and then rather than kind of trying to claw your way back out of that with rapport building and glad handing and going around and kind of getting to know people, you're just some new guy holed up in, in the office. Um, right. Well, yeah, the, their company had been around thing. since, yeah, their company had been around since 2006 also. So they had all these long established accounts and, you know, I had just set up a new LLC a month before with the, had no, no credit history, brand new EIN, all of that. And so it, some of these, some of these cases were, you know, you're trying to get a, a pretty significant line of credit with the, you know, the fuel company or with the material suppliers and, and all those things like to be a new business with no credit and be a new owner that that was tougher than I thought it would be for sure. Okay. Um, We'll carry on. So you you push your way through these two weeks, uh, and but are not really getting to know the team, and decide you can't go to this retreat. By the way, before you answer that, uh, Chris, I didn't I didn't ask you for a kind of size of business. How how big is it in dollar numbers and people numbers and anything you can share? So we've got about uh, thirty five employees, um, and revenue wise, we're we're probably on track to be about $6 million company this year for revenue. Thank you for that. So what happens after these first, mm, these first Rocky two weeks? Uh, well, I mean, we had kind of, we had made plans to get together and have the seller come in and spend time here in the office and cross train me. And, uh, I think, there were a couple times that, that the seller came in and, but it really kind of more turned into them going around and talking to the guys and, and, you know, doing more social things rather than sitting down and, and training my training me on anything in particular. And yeah. so I just, it, it kind of, after a couple of those sessions, uh, it became clear to me that really I wasn't getting a whole lot out of that. So I just, figured, you know, th there's no real reason to, to keep doing this. Uh, you know, it's clear that the, the seller wanted to kind of get on with their new endeavors and, uh, and just probably be better off just figuring it out on my own. So, uh, there really wasn't much of a transition period, so to speak. And Chris, talk a little bit about the fact that you, you were, I mean, there was going to be a learning curve here. You're buying a foundation repair business which is kind of like broadly in the construction and trades industry. Um, and you, as you described at the outset, you know, coming from a very white collar environment um, behind a computer screen to a, a very different environment. And we're going to have to learn at least something about the business of foundation repair. So you were anticipating a, a learning curve. Talk, talk, talk us through how you were thinking about that and then, and then what it was actually like once you got in the seat. Yeah. So, I mean, I definitely was anticipating a learning curve. I mean, coming from my, the background that I had working at a, in, in finance and spreadsheets most of the day, I knew that, you know, I was not going to get 
uh, a company that that was exactly like what I had been doing in the past. So I was well aware there was going to be a learning curve no matter what. Um, I knew coming into this one that there was going to be a little bit more of a learning curve just because the fact that it is, you know, it is construction. I don't have a background in construction. Um, one of the stipulations with the the deal was that I had to get my general contractor's license. So mm -hmm. that was, um, you know, I went out and I, I did some research into it and it didn't seem like anything that was too crazy. It just seemed like a lot of reading of books and studying and then taking a couple tests. And, uh, so I, you know, I figured out, well, I, I, I'm decent at taking tests. So I'll probably be okay. But, um, I, you know, I didn't have time for the first couple months to really even get into studying and doing all that just because I was at the business all the time. And there was just, even on the weekends I was, you know, doing work and I didn't have a lot of opportunity to study. Um, but that, yeah, the, the learning curve and the, the, having the background that wasn't in construction was probably my biggest concern going into it. And my, I was really concerned about how I was going to be received by the people yeah. in the company coming in without that background. Um, the prior owner, um, you know, owners, it was a husband and wife team and the husband had started the company from the ground up and he was really kind of revered by the guys around here. Like they, they still tell stories about him and the time he did this crazy thing or, you know, did this, you know, this at a house and fix some problem by hitting it with a hammer really hard or, you know, stuff like that. Like there, he's kind <laughs> of like a, he was, he was really looked up to by the, by the guys mm -hmm. around here. And I knew that that was you mm -hmm. know, very different from where than, than, than my background. And I'm just kind of also naturally a semi-introverted person. You know, I'm not, uh, I, I have always felt more comfortable kind of doing the, doing the analytical work than, than doing, than, you know, out there on construction site and you know, screwing around with the guys and cracking jokes and all of that. So I knew yeah. that it was going to be, I knew that it was going to be a transition, but I, you know, I felt like this is a challenge. I, I can do this. I felt pretty confident and uh, I felt like as long as I come in and I treat people fairly and with respect, uh, eventually that they'll hopefully recognize that. And if they don't, then, you know, that's, that's unfortunate, but, uh, you know, that's, that really is the way that it worked out. The, the funny thing is that, uh, the, the, the guys that are actually doing the construction work have been very, very welcoming and accepting of me. And, uh, teach me, um, teach me things all the time. I go out and I'll go to jobs with them and they know that I, you know, don't necessarily have a lot of the knowledge that they do. And so they'll, they'll, they'll show me things and, uh, explain themselves and why they're doing the things that they're doing. So I really do appreciate that. They've actually been really great. Um, the problems that I had, uh, with employees was much more so on the office and the, and the management side, which is the total opposite of what I had expected. Yeah, I, I thought it would be the That's, construction construction guys that would not accept me. So, yeah, yeah. Well, pick your poison, but I. But no, that's great. I, I'm glad to hear. I'm really glad to hear that. That I, I love hearing um, that about you know crews, tradespeople being wel welcoming and being receptive to an eager new buyer learning um, because it, I just feel like it's um, you know you're you're putting yourself in a vulnerable position going out there. You're the boss. You're this finance guy who came in and bought the business, but you know, you're willing to kind of be like, 
hey, you guys are the experts and I'm here to learn, teach me. I just, I, I think it's a really good and healthy dynamic. Um, but good segue there, Chris. So tell us, <laughs> tell us what problems you had with, with the people who are at home base, the people in the office. So, yeah, I mean, those started pretty soon thereafter. I mean, there was a lot of, um, since the sellers hadn't been on site a lot, there was kind of almost like no adult supervision really. Uh, so there was a lot of people kind of going out to long two hour lunches and having a bunch of beers at lunch and coming back and then, you know, coming back from that lunch and then just kind of screwing around the shop and doing whatever they could to pass the time until it was time to go home and not actually really contributing a lot. There was that. And then there was also, uh, you know, the, the, the person who was the general manager when I came in, um, I had been assured that he was rock solid and this guy's been with the company for a long time and, and he can do everything. You know, you don't even really need to be, you don't even really need to go into the office. Uh, and you know, I, I was kind of initially hoping that he was going to be the qualifier for the business just because he had his whole, you know, career had been spent in, in construction. And so I was kind of banking on him getting his general contractor's license and being the qualifier. Um, so I started to get him to enroll in the classes and I paid for, you know, all the books and the classes and, and encouraged him to go out and, and get that license for us, which we needed. And, um, you know, he went out and he, he did it. And, uh, basically as soon as he passed the state test, which isn't even the, all of the tests you have to take, he just, he passed the, the one test. He came into me the next day and he, uh, he gave me an envelope with uh, a couple hundred dollars in it. That was the cost of all the classes and a resignation letter saying that he was quitting. So wow. I thought, oh, okay, well, <laughs> there goes, there goes that. Um, and then also, you know, I don't have a, I don't have a general manager right now. So I came to find out later that, uh, I think it was eight days after I purchased the business, he had set up his own, uh, LLC and was mm. basically planning from the very, very beginning to, uh, to go out on his own. Um, and you know, I, I found out from just talking to people around that I guess there had been some conversation with the sellers and with him a few years back, which was kind of a informal conversation over dinner or something along those lines where they had, had kind of informally suggested to him that if they were to ever sell the business, that they would sell it to him. So I, I think he felt he was, he was uh, totally blindsided and felt yeah, betrayed even. I think he was, yeah, I think he was blindsided and felt betrayed. Exactly. Right. And, uh, you know, he told me when he was, when he was giving his resignation, he's like, you know, I have nothing against you. You're just a guy that bought a business, but this is, this is different than what I signed up for. So, yeah. and I said, you know, oh, man, that's I, tough. I was like, all right. I was like, well, you know, it's a, it's a free country. Uh, obviously I wish you luck and go out and, uh, you know, do what you want to do. Um, like I don't, don't try and hire the people away from here, but if you want to go out and start your own company, that's, that's fine with me. And so, you know, yeah, now he has a, a competing company in the area. Wow. And the just going back a little bit to his role within the business as GM, your seller, general manager, your sellers uh, have told you that he's uh, rock solid and a rock star. Um, and you who do doesn't know the business of, of foundation repair, you're, you're perfectly willing to 
be in the business all day, every day to learn it. Um, but were you envisioning really leaning on this person um, to, to keep the trains running on time as you moved up that learning curve? I mean, oh, yeah. to what extent were you panicked when he gave notice? I guess this is a more concise way of asking. Uh, so or were you yeah, fine I was, with it? Were you fine? Well, like, was it, it sucked, but you could, you figured you could manage. Yeah, I was definitely during due diligence. I was definitely counting on him a lot. I was planning to lean on him a lot, um, as the, as one of the people that had the most, you know, product and technical knowledge and also somebody that kept the trains running on time and had a good rapport with all the guys and just oversaw. I mean, he didn't, he wasn't really involved with, uh, P and L or sales, but he was, he was very heavy on kind of the operations and the management and the production side of the house, uh, managing the guys going out in the field. Uh, so yeah, I was during due diligence, I was definitely thinking, oh, well, this is, you know, this is one of the things that gets, gives me comfort is that there's this person yeah. in place. He's a young guy. Uh, he's been there for a couple of years, but you know, not too long and not too short, you know, hopefully I can get in there and, you know, we can form a good relationship and, and you know, I told him, I was like, you know, I, I, I plan to grow this company and I would definitely like to see you make a lot more money than you're, than you're making now, uh, which mm -hmm. he wasn't making bad money at the time. I mean, mm -hmm. and he had, you know, free, you know, free King Ranch F-250 truck with a gas card and a paid cell phone and all of these things and, you know, good salary, got a percentage of production, but, uh, it just, you know, we just never we just never really clicked. And, uh, and I mean, I, I just don't think it was ever, there was nothing that could have been different that, that could have made it work. I don't think, I think he was just very, he had a very good relationship with the sellers and I think he was blindsided and hurt and didn't want to be associated with the business anymore. So, uh, that led, that led to him, you know, he was, he was acting out like he was one of the ones that was going out and, you know, having a bunch of beers at lunch and coming back at two o'clock. And it was like, well, what do you, where have you been? Like, where have you been for the mm -hmm. last couple hours? And mm -hmm. then, uh, and you know, any excuse there was to go visit a job to get out of the office and not be here in the office, he'd be like, oh, I'll go out there. I'll, I'll he would volunteer for every possible opportunity to not be here. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I was sitting there and I was like, well, geez, like this is not, this is not working very well at all. <laughs> like this guy's not, mm -hmm. not actually helping me at all. So by the time that he came around to, uh, you know, tendering his resignation, it was, it was half concern and half relief, I'd say, because yeah. I knew that that was not a sustainable, uh, way to do things. So, yeah, he was either going to quit or you were going to have to have an uncomfortable yeah. conversation with him. Um, well, yeah, I did. And I did have uncomfortable conversations with him, but the thing was like I, coming in here as, as somebody without industry experience and, and new and, and all of that, like I was really concerned about, well, what's going to happen to everybody here and their morale if, if I fire this guy that's been yeah. their leader for the last couple of years because he, you know, is, is not doing his job. Like he was, he did have a great rapport with all the guys. I mean, that was most of what he did was sitting around and BSing with the guys at the end of the day and hanging out. <laughs> so yeah. I, I was thinking yeah. if, I, if I fire this guy, like I, who knows uh, what everyone's reaction is going to be. Totally. So unpredictable and, and, and daunting. On the other hand, you know, maybe they saw that he was taking long lunches and not working very hard and coming back with beer on his breath. And there, there was resentment on their part, even though they yeah. were joshing around with him at the end of the day. So 
Yeah, but they'd oh, been joshing that, around with them after just... they'd been after they'd been working for you know ten twelve hours doing doing serious hard dirty work. Yeah. So you yeah. Know, so yeah, I do think they that definitely was picked up on by some of the guys, and some of the guys did make comments to me about that. But I still just had this yeah. feeling that uh, you know he was he was very important, and and that there might be some sort of mutiny if uh, if he wasn't here. But uh, you know, it turns out that wasn't the well, case. Like that, that really, it was, it was okay. Well, that, that's great, Chris. Um, I mean, that's great that there wasn't a mutiny. I'm reminded <laughs> of a, of one of my, of one of my recent interviews, the one that was anonymous with the, the person who, um, who's, who's really in it right now. And, and I mean, really it's not clear if she's going to make it through. Um, but one of the many disastrous things that happens is yeah, some of the leadership um, leaves and it, it, that what, yeah. What does that do to morale? Does it, because everybody, you right. know, if, if, if somebody, if somebody is a leader in the business and then leaves and other people admire that person, um, do they follow that person? I mean, especially if the person is going off to, you know, start a competing entity, do they, right. do they you know, why not just go with him? I like that guy. So I'll thank right. you very much. You know, goodbye new owner i'm gonna go, just go yeah. work for this guy who i already know and respect so yeah you just worry about this terrible domino effect uh taking hold well chris yeah. you so <laughs> you you lose your gm um that even though as we now hear like maybe that was for the best um and and it maybe even gave you some relief even in the moment but still on paper not a good thing your sellers are not helpful at all in the transition. So all these kind of pillars you thought you were going to have to lean on and help you get your arms around this business have crashed down, disappeared, gone away. Uh, how are you feeling? Have you had a fetal position moment at this point yet? Yeah, uh, I was I was not feeling uh, great for the first couple months. I would say the first four to six months. Uh I didn't have the fetal position on the bathroom floor. I think I had a position where I was sitting at the picnic table outside and I was like, I just had this wave of nausea coming over me. And I'm like, oh my God, what have I done? Like, this is, did I make a terrible mistake? <laughs> is, is everything that I've been working towards just amounted to this and this was the wrong thing to do? But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, so I definitely felt like that for a while. I mean, I was, I was pretty, pretty highly stressed for a couple months. I mean, I was at the point where you know, I wasn't very much fun to be around at home and I wasn't really enjoying even on the weekends when I was trying to hang out with my family and, and do things to distract me. I like, I just, I couldn't get these things off of my mind. So, yeah. uh, you know, that was, that was a little bit tough. And obviously that, uh, stressed my wife out pretty considerably too, because just her seeing me like this and she was saying, Oh, what can I do to help? I was like, well, I, I appreciate it, but there's nothing you can do to help. I just have to figure it out. So uh, but you know, we, that, that, that was tough. What about the, the, the family piece and just the fact that you guys have made this other parallel big decision to move up to North Carolina. So you've made a number of kind of big decisions in tandem. Does it feel like the whole thing is in jeopardy now that, I mean, the, you know, not only maybe do you have moments where you're like, man, I wish I hadn't bought this business, man. I wish <laughs> we were back in Florida in that house we owned yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. five I states away. <laughs> I've definitely had that thought uh, a couple times, uh, not recently, but at, at the, you know, a year ago, I definitely had that thought a couple times, like, well, geez, I've got, I had a really nice, I had a nice position at a great company. Uh, I was, you know, basically the number two person in our group. Um, I got to, I had a ton of leeway and a ton of freedom that everybody trusted me. I got a nice bonus at the end of the year, every year, 
I had, right. you know, we'd lived in a great neighborhood and the, my kid's school was two minutes away. And it was, it was really, it was a nice existence. Like there was nothing, uh, at all wrong with it. Um, I just, for, I definitely had that thought, like maybe, maybe that would have been better to just keep doing that. But, uh, you know, that was just, that was just temporary. I, I have, I'm not having those thoughts any longer and I haven't had those thoughts for a while now. I realize that we're, we're on the right track. So, uh, but yeah, at the time it was, it was nerve wracking. I, I want to get to how you got things onto the right track, but indulge me. And can we just dwell in this ugly part for a minute? Like the moment, but really just for the benefit of people who might um, be experiencing this or have to experience this at some point, you're, you know, the, the, the picnic table moment, the nausea moment, um, um, what do you do? Is it the, is it like, how did you manage that? Is it the, the Churchill quote, like when you're going through hell, uh, keep going sort of thing, or, or was there, was there anything, anything you'd advise somebody in that position? Yeah, I, I think it was just just keep going at that point. I mean, I uh, there really wasn't any alternative. I mean, as you know, when you you buy a business, it's it's not liquid. Uh, you sign a personal guarantee. You're doing all of these things. You've quit your job. Uh, there really is no alternative. Like you yeah. have you've sailed to the shore and burned the ships, and you got to figure out how to make it work. So that's you burn the ships. That's, that's right. I, yeah. That's where I was, and uh, there was no there was no other option. I just had to kind of keep going and trust that if I kept doing what I was doing day in and day out, and tried to, you know, be smart about the what people brought on to the company, like what new people were brought on, and how to shuffle around existing people, that that we could uh, we could make it work. And um, that was really it. I mean, it was just kind of blind blind faith at that point and just yeah. having faith in, yeah. in, in myself and that, you know, there was no other alternative. I couldn't do anything else. So. Yeah, exactly. It's, it, it kind of makes things simple when there, there's no options. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so. not easier, but maybe simple. Um, right. okay, Chris, well, will tell us more about the sellers, you know, um, are you having interactions with them as this transition, you know, for example, the, the thing about the, um, they it had apparently been implied to the GM that maybe he'd have a shot at buying the business. Or did you circle back with the sellers and ask them about this? Are you having interactions with the sellers or have they just disappeared? I mean, they were, I was coming to them for things that I had to go to them for, um, not really for advice, but really more on accounts that I had questions on or how does this, this or that work around the office, but not really. I really wasn't going to them for too much advice at that point. Um, you know, one of the other things that came up is that uh, we had a, the way that the broker that I worked with uh, was, is that they had a kind of a impartial attorney draft all of the closing documents. So the seller paid half of the attorney's fees and I paid half of the attorney's fees. And then I had a separate mm -hmm. attorney on my side uh, reviewing everything. But the, the, the APA and everything had kind of a, they had a whip schedule and the whip schedule had language, but it didn't have dollars uh, tied to the language. So there was all these jobs that were in process when I, when I bought the business. And I think that the seller had their interpretation in their mind and they thought it was clear. And I had my interpretation in my mind and I thought it was clear. And then 
we close and it turns out that we're on very different sides of of the aisle in terms of what we thought was uh was owed to whom for for whip so um and Chris, define whip to, to, to define whip for people. Yeah, so the, the the work in progress, and in this this particular case, I'm talking about the jobs that we have going on. So we have, you know, our average job is ten to fifteen thousand dollars, and we have you know dozen or so jobs going on at any given point in various stages of completion. And the way that we track it is that you sign it. The 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 crew that's working on the job just puts in an estimate of how how much they think it is completed on a percentage basis. So you know, this job's 20% mm -hmm. done or that job's 80% done. And so there mm -hmm. was a sheet that had all these jobs that were in process with different percentages. And, uh, you know, I, I thought that, uh, I thought that it was clear in the, in the documentation. And I guess the seller thought it was clear in the documentation, but we had different interpretations. And so post-closing, um, it was, I was like, okay, well, you know, so what about this, you know, this post-closing true up? And the seller was like, yeah, well, what about the post-closing true up? You owe, you owe us money. And I was like, well, no, 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 you owe me money. <laughs> so uh, there was some back and forth on that for a while. And we had to you know, get the attorneys reinvolved and things like that. But, uh, you know, at the time, like the, there, there was some talk be between the seller and the, the prior general manager of like, well, you know, he owes us money and he's not even paying it type of thing. And I was like, no, no, that's, that's not correct. That's not what's going on here at all. Two questions, Chris. Do you think it was an honest disagreement between you and them or less um, than honest? And, and a second question, what was the delta between what they thought you owed them and what you thought they owed you? Uh, so on the the honesty part, I mean, I, I would like to think that it was a, an honest uh, misinterpretation. Um, you know, when I kind of laid it out very simplistically, it was like, well, you know, you'd be getting paid 104% of this job. So under your math, so that, how can you get paid 104% of a job? That doesn't make any sense. And so I don't know. I'd like to think it was just an honest, the, the verbiage in the agreement, you know, this is my first time getting through a asset purchase agreement and I did have an attorney and he's a great attorney, but like, I don't know, somehow we, my recommendation to anybody would just be try and put exact dollars in the agreement rather than mm -hmm. language as to how to handle WIP or, or jobs in progress. So mm -hmm. I don't know. I think it was probably an honest mistake, but it was definitely, uh, it was definitely something that was a point of contention. And it was something that, uh, you know, the, 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 some of the employees were exposed to, um, that they really shouldn't have been because that just, that just kind of laid some seeds of doubt of as far as like, well, this yeah. guy is coming in now here and now he owes, he owes money to them and he doesn't want to pay it. And, uh, you know, is this guy even Ugh. know what the hell he's doing type of thing? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so we, we ended up settling that up and, uh, it was fine. I did not owe any money in the end. So, then uh, the, the Delta, to answer your question about the Delta, the Delta was quite wide, <laughs> quite wide. So like, you know, I don't want to say the exact numbers, but it was like somewhere yeah. between you owe me a pretty good amount of money and you owe me like twice that pretty good amount of money type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, just something that really, it shouldn't have even been an issue, but I feel like since we were kind of, we, we had been really trying to, trying to close, um, 
at the end of um, June 30th, at the end of the first half to make it a clean closing. So we had been working really hard and pushing and pushing to close on June 30th, just so it was really clean for the books and everything. Uh, and we missed that. We ended up closing on July 12th. But uh, I think because we were rushing a little bit to try and get everything done, um, you know, there was some things that probably could have been a little bit more well-defined in there. Okay. Yeah. So that, that was another challenge, Chris. So, um, I guess the question would be what has happened or what did you do to improve the situation such that some of these challenges, happily, many of these challenges are yeah. pretty solidly in the rearview mirror at this point. And from what I gather, you're feeling pretty good about the business these days. I, I am. I am. Uh, I, it got, it got kind of worse before it got better. Um, do the, tell the, the, the general manager left in, in early October of 2022 mm. and right when he left our, our sales just fell off a cliff that month. So that oh was, God. I was like, Oh terrifying. no. Uh, yeah, it was terrifying. Uh, I was cause we're, I mean, we're, we're mostly a project based company. So we're it's kind of like, you know, you, you hear, oh, you should find a company with recurring revenue. And I was like, well, you know, there's all these project-based companies out there in construction, foundation repair, structure repair, that's not going anywhere. People are always going to need this type of work. So um, what I didn't realize is that there is, you know, there's a little bit more seasonality to it than I had originally uh, anticipated going in. Um, partially that had to do with how revenue was recognized before, um, you know, coming out of COVID and the housing boom that came with it, they had a pretty significant backlog of, of work when we were doing due diligence and, you know, revenue was recognized when the job was started, not when the job was sold. So what that meant was you could, you had your big backlog and it just existed as a, as a liability and it wasn't recognized as revenue until they started the job. So when you have a big backlog, you can keep starting jobs in the winter, even if you're not really selling as much. So mm -hmm. that kind of, that kind of, because of that, I kind of missed some of the seasonality to it. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, that had been the case since 2020. So I was looking over the last couple of years of financials and that had been kind of the, the case. So in October, uh, sales really kind of took a big, big drop and, you know, the, 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 the employee challenges that I was having too, of course I was being paranoid and I was thinking, you know, oh, someone's, you know, stealing business. There's mm -hmm. gotta be something nefarious going on here. Um, the, the wife of the prior general manager who, who left, uh, was, was doing our permits for us. So she actually had access to our system a little bit after the fact when, after, after he left. Um, so. I, you know, I, I put a stop to that, but I was really, I was really thinking that something is going on here and there was people mm -hmm. in the office too, um, especially one person that was, you know, that was really loyal to the general manager and he had actually helped her negotiate a big pay raise <laughs> right before he left. So, uh, she got, she got her big pay raise, but she was still just very unhappy working here, um, mm -hmm. after he left and, you know, nothing was going to save that. So ultimately we we parted ways, but I was really concerned that there was business just leaking out, uh, to him or to someone else. Um, and so, yeah, the, the winter from like October, November, December, uh, it's part of it's just seasonality and then the holidays, you know, people don't want 
you coming to their house and banging around uh, under the under the structure while they have their friends and family in town or they're out on vacation or whatever it may be. And there's just less, sure. you know, there's less less issues and moisture issues that come up that that is kind of what generates a lot of phone calls. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, the 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 that that time of the year got got slower, and so they got to the point where you know we were selling jobs and we were starting them pretty soon right after. And if, if guys didn't have anything to do that day, I would, uh, pay their, pay them their hourly rate to, to work in the warehouse and help clean up the warehouse and get everything organized because I really was very fearful of, you know, letting anyone go. That was a great, a great person. And so I was, I was trying to keep everyone busy and gainfully employed. And, uh, so we did that for a couple, for like month and a half or so two months and uh yeah it burned i mean it burned a lot of cash doing that and uh you know uh, that was uh that was not that was that was probably the the most stressful time i would say because like i i can deal with people leaving and i can deal with anything any challenges like that if someone doesn't want to be here and doesn't like me that's fine they don't have to be here but uh the guys that did want to be here and and bought into the vision I had this, you know, I had this responsibility to keep them employed and and keep them uh, busy and taking care, uh, allowed to support their families and not, you know, otherwise they'll leave. So that was, that was, that was what was more stressful, I'd say, than anything else. So, um, well, you're also sitting there wondering if there, if there's some problem with the absolute foundation, haha, of the business that all of a sudden, right. the, the, all of a sudden there's no sales. I mean, right. you know, the money, uh, the money spigot has to be on for anything else downstream of right. that to work. Yeah, ex- exactly. Um, you know, I think that there, there had been some changes to marketing too, right before I took over, um, some of the, 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 the TV commercials were turned off. Um, one of the, they had a, they had a really strong sales guy who he was, he had kind of come back and asked for more money and he was allowed to leave and he was replaced by somebody that was, uh, his background was in, in driving, uh, concrete trucks, like never sold anything and didn't even particularly like dealing with people. So, mm. so I was <laughs> down to basically one sales guy at the time and the marketing had been kind of reduced for, for a while. Um, so it was, it was a lot of digging out of that hole to, uh, and I think that we really felt the effects of it, uh, that November and December. So, and so then what happened in January? Did sales just sort of miraculously start coming back? And, and it was basically the seasonality worked yeah. itself through? Yeah. I mean, I'd say part of it was the seasonality. Uh, part of it was that we, we made some changes. Uh, I brought on a, a new marketing company that was uh, really helping us with some of our organic rankings, um, you know, to some of the stuff that I thought that we should be on the first like the first result on Google since we've been around so long, like we were on the third page of Google and that's the type mm-hmm. of stuff that, you know, when you're doing due diligence, you're like, Oh, low hanging fruit. I can, I can fix that and that'll be easy and I'll drive a lot more traffic. But those things do take a little bit of time, right? You can't, you can't just fix SEO overnight and it takes a couple months. So, um, I'd brought in a new company and their results were starting to pay off. Um, there was a guy here who was the, the sales manager and I, uh, changed his position to be the director of operations. So he took over the more of the production side and he became the one that was keeping the trains running on time. And he had a, he had a good background in, uh, 
in construction. So that was, that was definitely helpful. Um, the one sales guy that was not, you know, was admittedly like, he'll even say that he doesn't like doing sales. So I was like, well, then maybe that's not the right position for you. So we took him out <laughs> of that and brought in somebody who, uh, had some experience doing the work, but also really wanted to do the sales, uh, started training him at that time. Uh, so all of those things kind of working and then, yeah, there was, there was some seasonality to it too, but all of those things kind of working together when we got to January, it just, just everything kind of started working and we started getting, you know, good amount of business coming back. And, and it was, it was a great feeling. Well, here we are in August, Chris. So are you, do you have a plan for this coming December, November, December when, uh, I mean, are you having to kind of like, you know, account for the fact that, are you expecting that the business will drop off again, like seasonally as it did last year and aren't plan for that? I'm planning for, for something. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm cautiously optimistic about it. I'm, I'm hoping that it's not going to be like last year. I really don't think it will be because of all the things that we've done to make improvements. I mean, we recently released a new website that's, uh, that, that, that's much more current and, and, you know, user-friendly and able to get lead forms. Uh, recently hired a business development manager who's going to be going out and working with these, um, you know, who, who would be our referral partners, like structural engineers, home inspectors, mm -hmm. realtors, those types of folks that, that could refer us business. Um, just, I'm, I'm really spending a fair amount of my time working with the, the marketing company, trying to, you know, make sure that everything that they're doing makes sense, uh, make sure we're hitting, you know, doing the right ad strategies. Um, so I guess I'm, but I'm also trying to, you know, conserve cash and and build up a, a buffer for the winter just in case. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not taking any money out of the business or anything like that right now. Everything is reinvested, and you know, we're either using it for for growth or saving it for a rainy day at this point. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I do expect that things might uh, get a little bit quieter. But I think that um, I think that you know. Part of it is just if you build the backlog of jobs going into the winter, then you have plenty of work to get you through the winter. So yeah. that's, and yeah. I think that that was kind of one of the things that was my issue. Um, you know, when I, when I came in and in, in July, the business had been really up for sale and already gone through one due diligence period. And they were very close to closing with this prior buyer. And I think that, uh, you know, they, they thought it was a done deal. So when that fell apart, and we had to restart over with me and spend another three, four months. It was, uh, you know, they weren't gonna, I mean, understandably, like you're, you're trying to get as much out of the business as you can. Like you're not gonna be investing in marketing and investing in things like you would if you were gonna keep it for, for years to come. So especially if you really just thought you were getting through everything. So I, I, yeah. I think there was just a little deferred, deferred maintenance there yeah. and, uh, had I closed in earlier in the year, I think it would have been less noticeable, but the fact that there was another buyer and it fell apart and then, and then we had to restart over, uh, I think that that, that was definitely a negative. Well, Chris, anything else on, um, the, any, uh, basically being in this low, uh, no, I mean, now, now things are, things are, things are going well. I mean, the first half of, uh, 2023 was actually, our sales were better than the, either of the previous two years. So 
we just had congratulations. A, thank you. Yeah, we just had a, a mid-year team event where we went to Top Golf and went and played some you know laser tag games and things like that. And like I gave my speech and I was just telling everybody that uh, yeah, I, I it's it's been I it's been tough. It's been a, a lot of work, and but it's I really have enjoyed getting to truly meet them and know these folks and uh you know that they're they're doing a hell of a job and uh, yeah we're we're definitely moving in the right direction i mean there's um i mean there's other competitors out there but i feel like we're we're a great size we're we're you know we go up against franchises there's a there's kind of one big private equity backed company the in the immediate area but uh you know i think that we really should be winning against all these people and there's no reason that we can't just uh you know that we that we shouldn't be significantly bigger than we are right now so well that's, that's um that that's a remarkable trajectory chris and such a hopeful one and you know it kind of has all of the elements of um uh a rocky transition fetal position or nausea moments where it, yeah, I mean, that's really scary what you described, especially the sales just kind of falling through the floor and then coming back and feeling like you're, um, now you're excited about not only like is the worst kind of over, but you're also actually excited about the future. Um, I love that. Um, the, you, I think, so, and one last thing on this, and then I, I, I'm watching the time, Chris, and we're basically already at time. Do you have a, a few more minutes? Sure. Great. Yeah. Because I, because I, I want, I have one more question on on just kind of your role and the business itself, and then and then I just want to make sure we educate um, me and the audience some on the foundation repair business because it is one um, that you hear about in in the world of search. The you had mentioned, I believe, to me in our pre call that maybe another acquisition is in is is something that you'd entertain. Are yeah, you feeling I that confident? Did I get that right? Yeah, you, you did. I, I would definitely entertain it. Um, at this point, you know, there's only, there's only so much work. There's only so much production that you can get done with a given amount of people, right? Like a, a crew can only do so much work so you can yeah. keep adding on crews. It's very hard to find good crawl space people, by the way, like it's extremely hard to find, uh, cause it's not just construction. It's, it's really kind of niche specialty construction where you have to be under a house for eight hours a day and uh finding guys that are that are good and want to do that work and have clean backgrounds and are someone you'd want to send to a customer's house it's it's really difficult i mean mm -hmm. so uh recruiting is a challenge certainly so and then you know geography is also a, a bit of a challenge for us too we cover all of north and south carolina so um i got my general contractor's license in both states so we do all of both states. So there's a fair amount of driving and gas and hotel rooms and things like that, especially if you're going to the coast or, or, or if you're going out, you know, going out west into the mountains. So I would like to, I would like to try and uh, acquire, hopefully in the not too distant future, another, another company in the space just to give us a, a, a little bit more of a geographic reach without having to travel quite so much. I mean, something around... Yeah. You know, Charleston, Wilmington area would be fantastic. Or Raleigh's our Raleigh's our second biggest market after Charlotte. Um, when I bought the company, the, the the sellers did have a small office in Raleigh, 
but I went and looked at it and it was, uh, it was very, very rough and it had not been used in years. They had tried to open a branch there and it didn't go well because of, I guess, some personnel issues out there. And so they just basically closed it up. And I remember I went and look, I went out there with my family for the day and we were, we went into the office and I got a key and I went in and we just looked around and, and my, my daughter who was six at the time looked at me, she's like, daddy, don't buy this company. This is not nice. Because <laughs> I mean, there was, there was holes in the ceiling where water had come through and just an old couch. And it was just, there was like duct tape holding together the the roll-up door it was just you know not literally held together with duct tape (laughs) literally yeah so i you know i i informed the seller that i was not interested in assuming the lease on that office when we uh more so just because i didn't want to be responsible for whatever whatever was to come of that but um you know there's definitely something to having a having an office in another location so i'd like to do that um that's one i that's one thing and that's probably the most logical step um the other the other thing would be, you know, there's, I could try and find complementary businesses that are here locally. So I've been kicking those ideas around a lot lately now that I've kind of reached the year mark and trying to figure out what, what's the next step, but I do definitely want Mm -hmm. to do something. And do you feel that you, if you looked under the hood at another foundation repair business that given your, you know, 12, 18 months in this business, uh, and buying this business and diligencing this business, um, could really like look at a, look at an acquisition candidate acquisition target and quickly kind of know oh, if yeah. it's a good business and where the holes are. I mean, you know, it, it's a, a world of difference from your first time around. Definitely, definitely much better. Yeah. World of difference. Like I had, I honestly had no, no clue what questions to even ask the first time. I mean, you ask kind of these general questions and whatever comes to mind and, you know, you do diligence and you have a, have a question about something and you ask it and you get an answer. But like now I would, mm-hmm. it would be a completely different experience. That's part of the reason why I feel like it's something I want to do again is because I, I feel like now I would be able to figure out pretty quickly if it was, uh, you know, mm-hmm. what was going on with the business, at least to, you know, at least to a much higher level of yeah. certainty than I had the first go around. Great, Chris. Well, uh, before I let you go, can we have a bit of a, uh, a, a class on the foundation repair business. So you just said uh, a couple of minutes ago that it's kind of niche construction. Um, so it's, you know, it's a construction business, but a very specific type of construction instead of skills. It is a project business. Um, so no recurring revenue, big job numbers though. I think you said 10 to $15,000 is the average right. job. Uh, consumer. I mean, these are houses. These are not buildings mm-hmm. generally. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. So co- we do a, a little bit of commercial. Business. Yeah, there's a little bit of commercial, but I mean, it's oh, okay. probably 90% residential. Okay. Residential. Uh, what, what else would you tell people about this industry? It is. So, you know, when I, when I got into it, um, or when I first started, like I, I thought that it was interesting because it's not going away anytime soon. It's low tech. I mean, you don't really need, you, you need some, you need machinery, you need, you know, a uh, excavator, you need a bunch of tools, you need materials, but it's not something that, uh, Amazon can come in and, and beat you to. There's all, it's, yep. it's always going to be local. There's always going to be a need for it here in, in the Carolinas. The, the soil is very, clay heavy and then when you get to the coast it's very sand heavy so things move a lot 
um, they expand and contract during the seasons with the rain and the heat and the cold. So uh, the foundations crack, uh, wood gets rotten under the house, water comes in and you need drains and pumps and dehumidifiers and all of that. So it's, it's definitely not going anywhere. And, um, you know, there, there's a, there's a company here that's kind of our biggest competitor in the area. And they had been bought by a private equity company, um, that was doing a, a, a private equity backed roll up. And then another, they got another investment just recently from KKR. And so I was thinking during due diligence, I was like, well, geez, if these guys can do, can do that, like, I don't have to do it on the same scale. I could be perfectly happy being much smaller and just doing something kind of in the same vein. So that was, uh, that was inspirational. So you, you saw that private I've, equity, um, interest in the, in the space as validating of the space. I, sort of. I did. Yeah. And I've actually like, I, I, it's more than I thought it was going to be too. I mean, I, when I came in, I thought that, uh, uh, you know, being so project-based, we have a little bit of recurring revenue from maintenance agreements and things like that, but it's really not anything too substantial. Uh, I had thought that, you know, that's maybe there's some interest, but I was really shocked. I mean, in the first couple of months, I got like 10 or 12 phone calls from private equity companies, uh, that were interested in talking to me or taking me out to lunch or doing all of this. And I was like, well, you know, thank you. I just bought the business a couple of months ago, so I'm really not looking to, uh, <laughs> partner with anybody at this point, but I'll keep you, you in mind you should, for the future. You, you, you say to him, Hey, you should have called me when I was about to puke yeah. at the picnic table. You caught me at the <laughs> wrong moment. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, but you know, I, it, I mean, it, but it's, it's reassuring and it's, it's flattering sure. that, you know, that, to, that they would express interest in, uh, and so that's, that's a good sign. I feel like that means, yeah. you know, in the right kind of industry, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it is, it, it's construction, it's hard, dirty work and, uh, and yeah, but it's not going anywhere. And Chris, what about uh, elaborate a little bit? You've already said labor, hard to find people who know how to do this. So how long does it take to train somebody up in this work? So most of the people that we hire are, are rookies and don't have too much experience. The, the guys that we have that are the crew leaders have, mm -hmm. most of them have been with the company for a couple of years. So really, mm. really fortunate that the crew leaders have all stuck around. Um, mm -hmm. with the exception of one or two that were doing, you know, that weren't really up to par and that was a mutual decision, but the guys that are here right now and that we've elevated to crew leader are, have all been here for at least, you know, a year and a half plus years. One, or, mm -hmm. one guy's been here 10 or 12 years. Um, so that was really, that was great because that, you know, these are the guys that really have the, the, the knowledge. Um, the hard part is finding. I mean, the hard part is, I guess it'd be hard to find another crew leader because if you need to, if you want to expand, you know, like I said, you can only do so much revenue with a fixed amount of people here. There's just you no, know, the human body can only do so much work in a, in a week. So, uh, that's, that's kind of, you know, tough to find someone to bring in as a crew leader and even to find the support people, the rookies that are helping them out. It's, it's like, it's shocking. Like I used to do recruiting for business analysts and things like that in my old job. And you go through this lengthy interview process and it was very professional and, and here, you know, you set up an interview and over 50% of the time people don't even show up for the interview and they tell you they're going to come. Mm -hmm. And then when yeah. they do come, uh, a good chunk of those people you don't like, and then of the people you like a good chunk of those end up having, you know, undesirable backgrounds. And so you can't hire them. 
So you're left, I think I've sent out 80 or 90 outreach efforts on Indeed. Um, and I got, we got one new hire from it. Wow. But, but to be clear, they don't actually have to be that skilled initially. No, no, you're going to scale them up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we definitely, we, we train them. Really the hardest thing is, is finding someone that's motivated and is going to work hard. And we hmm. give them an opportunity to rotate around with the different crew leaders. And what I tell them is, is I can give you an opportunity to come in and I can give you an opportunity to go out with the crew leaders, but it's up to you to impress them and, and have one of them pick you up at the end of the day. Cause if nobody picks mm -hmm. you up after you've rotated around with them, uh, then you're going to be sweeping the warehouse until Friday and then you're going home. So mm -hmm. that's, that's the way it works. So, I mean, it's, it's also kind of a, you know, a youngish person's job because it's very physically taxing on your body. So people that are even, you know, guys that are in their late thirties, anything beyond that, they, you know, their, their body hurts. So yeah. one of the things that was really interesting about this coming into this company, it's like, I'm, I mean, I, I don't consider myself that old. I'm, I'm 38. So I guess I'm mid career-ish, but, uh, I'm one of the older people in this company. <laughs> There's <laughs> some people that have, uh, that have, that are in various positions, but like the director of operations is younger than me. The business development's younger than me. Pretty much all the production guys are younger than me. Uh, a lot of the office customer service folks are younger than me. <laughs> so like I've gone from this position where, uh, you know, in my old corporate life, like there was all these guys that had been with the company and were in their fifties and had, you know, climbed the corporate ladder and they were managing directors. And now here I find myself to be one of the older people in the company, which I find interesting. Yeah, that is, that is an interesting dynamic. Uh, although probably a, a helpful one in those first couple months when you were trying to earn as much respect as quickly yeah. as you could. At least you, at least you were older <laughs> than most of them. <laughs> yeah. Not, not by much, but yeah. 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 Um, and the, so these are big, oh, how are margins in, in the foundation repair business? You're kind of your standard, a little bit over 20 if you're doing well, a little bit under 20 if you're not super yeah. efficient. Yeah. I'd say, I'd say around so that. 20. I mean, it might be, a, it might be, yeah, it's a little bit lower. I mean, one of the things with, uh, you know, I think, uh, I think you've had other guests talk about this too, but you know, with interest rates going up a lot, like my interest rate in my SBA loan has gone up so much, uh, since I yeah. acquired the business. Um, I had been working with another lender of like a, a big mega bank to try and do an SBA loan. And it was just way too much paperwork and it was never going to get done on time, but they had a fixed rate. And now I'm like, oh man, maybe I should have stuck with them and got the fixed rate because it was one of the only mm -hmm. SBA lenders that offered a fixed rate. And my lender was, was great. I went with Live Oak just for the record and they were fantastic. The guy that I worked with there was really, really good and, mm -hmm. you know, was able to get everything to work out, but having a floating interest rate right now kind of sucks. So there's an extra several thousand dollars every month that, you know, of course I modeled it that it would go up, but like, I didn't, it still kind of hurts when you're like, Oh, I, you know, I'm spending an extra seven grand a month on interest that I wasn't yeah. a couple months ago. But, yeah. um, yeah, yeah, margins, I mean, margins are, yeah, like you said, they're, you know, in the, the teens to 20 ish, I'd say. And, uh, one more question just on the business, the getting leads, getting sales, so if, if you guys are finding yourself going all the way out to the coasts, I mean, and all the way down to South Carolina, I mean, it sounds like, and wherever places that sometimes your guys have to spend the night and basically spend the night in a hotel room to serve, serve as a customer, 
that tells me that there's just that there's just a lot more demand than there is supply. If you have to, you know, if people are willing to call yeah. you from hours away to come service their home. So is that to say that there's yeah? What, what does it look like to get leads? You know, are you and to, and to make the phone ring? Is it and is it all an online game? Is it basically all like you, you referred to SEO earlier? Just give us a picture of marketing. Yeah. So right now, I mean, most everything that we're doing is online. It's pay per click and SEO and and you know. We hired, I hired somebody to do our social media. So we have a little bit of a more professional Instagram and Facebook than ever was in the past. But, uh, yeah, really that's what we're doing now. Uh, the company previously had done TV commercials. Um, I got pretty close to doing TV commercials and I backed out at the last minute just because I don't know, like I don't, I don't consume very much TV at all. Like I, if I watch a half an hour of Hulu with my wife before going to sleep, like that's that's about the maximum amount of TV we get in a day. So yeah. I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I want to spend this kind of money. You know, they can be eight, 10 plus thousand dollars a month to, to run TV ads. So, yeah. um, I, I think we will get to that and, uh, maybe we'll get to doing billboards and doing other things to just drive brand awareness, but it's been mostly online and mostly just focusing on, you know, trying to do good, Good customer service really i mean getting trying to get good reviews on google sharing those on social media sharing those on our website getting i mean referral sources uh, we get more more uh business from you know realtors and and home inspectors and things like that than than really anything else probably that's probably ah. about evenly tied with uh with google ah so well and it sounds like you, you, you doubled down on that you that you yeah. you hired this BD person to cultivate right. those relationships, the referral, right. the referral yeah. network. Well, yeah. it seems like the kind of business, this may be naive or wrong, that brand awareness might be less important, i.e. marketing on television or billboards, because how often does somebody really need you know structural work or foundation repair right. done? Not very. Um, and, and so it's kind of like something that somebody would Google and just kind of like look at the top two or three and whoever got the best Google reviews, they put on a couple calls, best price, who calls them back sort of thing, yeah. as opposed to seeing a billboard, you know, and remembering a name. Um, right. actually, but on that, on, and on that point, I guess <laughs> we should define it a little better. What we do is, well, the way we describe is everything from the subfloor down. So these are typically not. These are problems that have usually been going on for a long time that people mm, have okay. maybe have probably known about and they've just been putting it off. Or, you know, part of the reason that realtors are a good referral source is because during the real estate transaction, there's a home inspection and then the home inspector will call out certain things. Um, and, you know, then, then they say, oh, you should consult a licensed contractor that specializes in, you know, this type of foundation repair. And so that's, we get a lot of calls around that. Um, gotcha. but yeah, it's, I mean, it's replacing wood under the house that's rotting or has termite damage. It's adding, you know, building piers to support, uh, to support the home drains, um, uh, to divert water away to keep the foundation dry. We do encapsulations with, you know, dehumidifiers where they're sealing off the crawl space. So it's, it's all of that. I mean, it's stuff that you could definitely, you can put it off for a while, but it's one of those okay. things that you, you really shouldn't put off for too much longer than, than, uh, than recommended because, you know, it is, it does, you know, it's, it's only going to get worse. Like if you have rotting wood under your house, like eventually your floors will start sagging. 
um, a lot of things that we get is we get calls from customers saying, oh, why does my door stick or why can't this, this window doesn't open or I see little hairline cracks around the, the frame of the window in the house or there's a soft spot in my floor. Those types of things are kind of the, the leading indicators usually that, that get somebody to call us and then we send a consultant out there and do a free inspection and then let them know what they're looking at. So, <laughs> but, but yeah, that was, I mean, that well, was my, your, 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 your notion of like the, someone who just Googles it and looks at the first two or three, like that's exactly what I thought too, when I was coming into buying the business, I was like, brand recognition is probably not that important. It's just a matter of ranking well on Google when they Google you and then providing good customer service. And you can probably get a decent market share if you just execute really well on those two things. Well, Chris, anything I failed to ask you or that we didn't touch on? I, I feel like we've covered a lot, but what did I miss? No, I, I mean, I think that's, uh, I think that's the, the whole story for the most part. Um, it's been, it's been a definitely an interesting ride here for the last year. And, <laughs> uh, you know, my, my wife has asked me many times during the last year, like, oh, so do you, do you regret it? And I've always said, no, I don't regret it. And that's, you know, mostly been true. Uh, I don't regret it. It's been, it's been hard at certain points, but I really feel like, uh, you know, there's certain days when everything's clicking and, and everything's going well and you just, it, it, like nothing could be better because it's, it's your business at the end of the day. It's not, uh, you're not in someone else's business where you're, you know, but spending your time and your energy and your effort to, to get them, you know, success. Like it really, it, yep. it's, it's such a great feeling. Cause like when, whenever, when the days when things work, it really feels really good. And then, you know, you get obviously the flip side of that, but that, that's just, uh, that's how it goes. But I think, you know, over the last six months, I've really been having a lot more good days than bad days. And I, I feel like I made the right decision. So I'm, I'm so pleased, Chris. And, uh, and that, that sense of ownership, um, is what entrepreneurship is in large part about. Uh, and, and do you feel like this business is yours now after you, what I you do. went through? I do. Yeah. I mean, there's still, there's still certain things around. I mean, the office still looks pretty much the same as when I came in and, there's certain things mm -hmm. that I do want to, when I get to, you know, try and personalize it and make it a little bit different. But, uh, yeah, I really, I really do feel that way now. I feel like it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's in a, I'm in a place now where I've got a good relationship with everybody that's here. I feel like the people that are here want to be here. We've got the right mm -hmm. people in the right seats. And, you know, that's what I tell people is like, that's how I view I view my job as making sure that we have the right people in the right seats and that there's enough leads coming in the door to keep our salespeople busy, which will in turn keep our production crews busy. So like those are, I think I'd look at that as those are my two primary functions. So that's a great distillation. If people want to get in touch with you, Chris, what, what, what's the best way? Um, they can, I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, they can, they can reach out to me on LinkedIn or my, they're, they're welcome to send me an email and my emails, Christopher Jones, the number seven at Gmail. So happy to, uh, happy to chat. Chris, thanks so much for coming on and sharing this roller coaster of a story. Uh, congratulations for, you know, getting through those, those rough patches and, and feeling, you know, being where you are now and, and things are looking pretty rosy, knock on wood, yeah. you know, it's all, the roller yes. coaster never completely ceases in small business, <laughs> but let, let's enjoy the, the feeling of potential while we have it. Yeah, I, I am definitely enjoying it. And yeah, thank you very much for having me on, Will. I like I said, I've been I've been listening to you. Uh, I have a thirty minute drive in the morning and in the afternoon, and I I listen to you every time a new episode comes out. So uh, it's a it's an honor to be on the show. And you know, 
Uh, you've had some illustrious guests, so hope this episode's okay. <laughs> Among them now, one one Chris Jones. So yeah. <laughs> good deal. Thank you for saying that, Chris. I appreciate it. Thanks, Will. Well.